You're listening to the Soul Care Podcast. I'm Elaine Hamilton, the founder of the Soul Care House, a group of therapists working in community with a shared perspective about the path towards healing and change. This podcast is about creating a space for real conversations about real life struggles, a place where you can gather insight and support for issues that are relevant to you and the people you love. So sit back, put your feet up, and let's talk. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode. I am in the middle of a series of conversations with author Leanna Tankersley, and this episode is our conversation about creating deeper friendships. I hope you enjoy. Okay guys, well today Elaine and I wanted to talk about uh, friendships. It seems like this is a, uh, a big theme among women and um, I also think there's just a lot of statistics coming our way about this like loneliness epidemic and how people are feeling more and more isolated, even though we have more and more ways to be connected. And so Elaine and I thought, well, why don't we talk about what it looks like to nurture connections with the women in our lives, right? Yes. Yeah, I love what you just said, nurture connections, right? Because that's that's really what it takes. And I think sometimes... Um, some of us feel like, like if a relationship is good, it should just work. Sort of like we sometimes have viewed marriage, right? When we're young, it's this idea of like, if it's meant to be, it'll, it will just work out. And I think what you learn over time is that any relationship, in order for it to be meaningful and significant, will require, require some nurturing, some attention and some adjusting and all of that. And so that's part of what we thought we might talk about today is like, how do you how do you sustain a relationship over time and create authenticity in it and vulnerability and deep connection? Because really that's what, that's what everybody's looking for. It's like, how do we, how do we create that? Yes. Yes. And, um, you and I have both, I mean, we have a, a super special relationship between the two of us. And I think, um, it's so significant, especially when you go through difficult seasons, um, to have nurtured these connections and they're right there for you to catch you, to hold you, to be with you. And, um, just what a beautiful thing that is. Right. So I, I, I think that's important too. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that all takes a lot of time. I think mm-hmm. sometimes missed is that like, creating something that's going to hold when things get real rocky is like that, that needs investment, right? Like, yes, we need to have logged some hours with one another um, so that when a crisis hits or a difficult period happens that there's enough, um, there's just enough history. There's enough, like, I, I know what you need. I, I know how to approach you at times like this. I know how to let you be when you need that, right? Like all those things that um, we've learned about each other during sort of like regular days, um, they're very helpful during periods of stress. Yes, yes. I think um, one of the things that would be, I just want to start with is that I feel like a lot of us are, having a lot of contact with people. We're in, you know, there's a lot of people in our lives and we're experiencing a lot of contact, 
but to just step back and realize that contact is not the same thing as connection. And, um, there's times where I can feel, um, you know, like I'm, I'm longing for that. Maybe not lonely, but just longing for, um, like a really meaningful conversation or just some, you know, laughing together about something. And what I realized is that I spent a lot of time kind of bouncing off a lot of people and having uh, very surface conversations, uh, but I'm not actually feeling connected. And so you may have a lot of people in your life that doesn't necessarily mean you're experiencing deep connection. Um, yeah, and to realize that it's it's not that there's something wrong with you, that that connection isn't happening. It's that like we needed a deeper conversation. We needed maybe not as much contact with as many people that was on the surface, but we needed some significant conversations with a few people that would get us that sense of like, I feel known, I feel heard, I feel understood, I feel supported. That doesn't usually come from conversations that are quite light and breezy and not about much. Yes. And in passing, just yeah. sort of passing, 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 but not um, like really feeling seen and not really seeing someone else. Right. So I, yeah, there, I, I think that's just important. Like, to, to maybe take, uh, you know, a little inventory and say, am I, am I really just kind of experiencing a lot of contact with people or am I experiencing connection? And if I'm longing for connection, how, um, which I think we're going to get into, but how can I um, establish that and nourish it a bit more? Right. Right. Yeah. So checking out, am I feeling lonely, even though I've had a million contact moments with people today? I'm still feeling lonely. That means I'm needing something different. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just needing something different than the kind of contact I'm having with people. And then how do, we pursue, how do we pursue that? So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I love that, how you're emphasizing it's not like a point of shame. Right. Or it's it's a point of assessing your your needs, which I think we talk about a lot, actually. A lot of life is coming back to what do I really need here? And then how can I make space in my life for more of that thing that I need? And it's not a point of shame. It's just a point of recognizing and then being intentional about. I think that's so good, Elaine. Mm -hmm. Great. One of the other things I was thinking about regarding this is it can be helpful to look at what have been my early experiences in friendships? Um, because mm. we're coming to adult friendships. Well, we're, we, we are. We're coming with the experiences of our past, right? And those are influencing how we interact with people, what kind of people we choose to interact with, um, how those interactions go, what we take away from them. They, they aren't really just purely in, about what's happening in that moment with that and oftentimes layered with the things that I learned about myself inside relationships with friends as a child, as a teenager, as a college age person. And so it can be, it can be helpful to just kind of look back and go like, what, what has happened there? And like, how am I approaching all of that? Um, for example, I was, I was thinking about uh, my earliest experiences with female friendships was obviously as a little girl living in a neighborhood, there were uh, two friends that lived in the neighborhood who were best friends. And um, there were, there were about five of us little girls in the neighborhood. And these two little girls were besties. And 
I think we all wanted to play with them because they maybe they had the nicest homes or the moms who would make you snacks or whatever. Um, but we really wanted in on what they were doing. And I, I remember um, just feeling very uh, sort of on the outside of their relationship. And, you know, they had they were matching outfits. They were their moms got them in the same classrooms and all of that. And so their relationship was really beautiful and really um, they were like sisters and yeah. it was really lovely for them. But I even though they would invite me to play with them, there was this clear message, not not from them. They weren't doing anything wrong. It was just obvious to me that they had a deeper connection with each other that then I would be a part of. Mm. I, I recognize that as an adult woman, I came to relationships and anticipating that, that I could be part of a gang of sorts, but I would never be um, especially relevant or especially necessary. Uh, when I became an adjunct professor, I remember this feeling very cemented. I looked up, what does adjunct mean? It's like, it's useful, <laughs> but not necessary. And I was like, oh God. That is a picture of the way that I see myself in relationships. Like totally, that's how mm. I see myself. It's like I'm periphery to something cool that's happening, but that thing that isn't really available to me because mm. I'm useful but not necessary adjunct to that. Oh, Elaine, that is, I think that that is, a common experience in in the sense that we um, can feel like this thing that we want or this this place that we want to occupy or this connection we want to feel with someone it's just out of our grasp for any number of reasons. Um, so I, I think that's a that's just well said. And so tell the story, Lane, about um, fast forward mm. and tell the story about what your friends did as an adult. Yes. Yeah. When I was in my thirties, I started a small group and just said, ladies, I'm looking for something real. I'd really like to talk about what's actually going on in our lives instead of, you know, talking about the things we're supposed to talk about. Mm. Um, and at, at some point shared this story about my earliest experiences and they started putting me in the middle of things. So when we would like go to dinner, they would make sure that I was sitting in the middle at a table. When we would walk down the street, someone would grab me and shove me in between a couple other ladies. And um, I had this real resistance. I desperately wanted it. And I had this real resistance to them trying to heal this wound I had. Yeah on the outside and you know they just ignored me as they always do and they're right and I'm wrong and <laughs> it was just it was incredibly healing to have friends who like took that story so seriously and said what can we do to shift that narrative in your head what can we do to say you're not you're not adjunct you're actually crucial to this whole process yes. and the physical act of shoving me in the middle was highly effective yeah, how can we how can we help heal this, and show you that um, you're not periphery to us? We right. want you right here, as close as possible. And the best female friendships will do that. They will heal us from the bottom up. I think from the inside out, they'll find those places where we were most deeply uh, wounded or um, 
left or whatever, and they will they will start to slowly heal that. And um, I think it is, I've always loved that story. Every time you tell it, I just feel like how how courageous were those women to um, to see you in such an intimate way and say, "We're going to do something about this. We're not going to um, we're not we're not going to let you keep believing this thing about yourself that is." untrue and an old story. And we're going to, we're going to change the story, but we have to like physically do it. We have to um, intentionally and physically do it. I just, I've always loved that story. Um, Piggybacking off that. I think one thing to think about as you're looking back on um, sort of what did female relationships look like you from the, look like for you from the beginning is to think about what were your relationships like with your sisters, if you had them, because that's often like a place where we initially begin relating to other women (laughs) and it's um, it's places where we experience competition, where we experience acceptance and unconditional love sometimes, but that can be a hotbed of a whole lot of things. And so to think back about um, where do I see myself in relationship to the, um, to the women that were in my home and has that um, given me a really strong start with other women or did that create a narrative that um, has really influenced my ability to connect and trust other women. What would you say were your earliest experiences with female friendships? You know, what comes to mind right now is that my sister is five years older than I am. So she's the oldest and then I'm the next sibling and there's five years between us. And so now that doesn't seem like much at all, but when we were growing up, she was just always kind of at a different stage than I was. Mm -hmm. And she always had a lot of older girls coming and going in the house. And of course you're younger and you're, you're looking up to these girls so much and you're kind of watching their every move. And uh, my sister was always very good to me and included me and, um, I remember, you know, my sister played volleyball, I played volleyball. And so when we were, you know, my younger brother and I, when Laura was playing volleyball, we would go to the gym and uh, after school and hang out in the gym, like little gym rats, <laughs> watching her play volleyball and shag the balls for her and her team. And I would watch her um, with those girls. And it was a real point of, um, I want that someday, this, this sense of team and this sense of, uh, working together and having fun, but working together. And that was very, I was very um, affected by sort of my, some of my earliest memories are watching her on teams. And I always wanted that. And I think that being on teams myself has very much influenced uh, my relationships with women. And I, here's what I mean. I was thinking about this as we were, as we were talking about this, preparing for this topic. And Um, On a team, everyone plays a different position. And so you don't have the same expectations for every player on the team. You expect everyone's going to show up and work hard. Those are the expectations that you have and give what they can give. But everyone brings something a little bit different. And I really think that same thing as I think about the women that I'm closest to in my life my relationship with each of them looks a little bit different, how we communicate, how we stay in touch, how we spend our time together. And I think that that's, um, I think that's been positive that I see how everyone's a little different. We're all different. And so how I relate to each of the women in my life 
um, I allow that to be a little bit different. And as I get older, I think that's nuanced more and more. And I think that goes back to this idea of, um, yeah, we're all a little different. We all play a different position, but that doesn't um, affect our ability to connect and to be together in a meaningful way. Yeah, it seems like it really taught you flexibility and acceptance of others. And so when, at least this is what it looks like when I watch you do it, is there, you're, you approach relationships in a very accepting kind of way. It's like wherever this person is at, whatever they need, however they need that, you're comfortable with all of that. Like you don't approach relationships with women with a lot of expectation about how it should go, how it should look. Um, and it makes sense that like being on teams your whole life would have really taught you that we, we got to figure this all out together and we're all a little different. So how are we going to do that? Yeah. And when you're on a team together, a lot of the time, most of the time you didn't get to pick, you know, you come onto the team and the coach is the one that put everybody together mm -hmm. and it's your responsibility as part of the team to um, figure that out. <laughs> yeah. And you get stuck with some characters sometimes, you know, and maybe I was the character sometimes like, Oh guy, who's this girl. Mm -hmm. And so you learn, yeah. How to, um, not only just flex and accommodate, but I think really appreciate like, God, that person is so different from me, thinks differently, um, you know, finds things totally different than I find funny, you know, totally different senses of humor. And so, yeah, I think, um, I think I've, maybe as we're talking, I realize I've actually been around a lot of women for most of my life. And, um, in collaborative and cooperative settings, but women that were highly different from each other and yeah. came from different backgrounds and all of that. And I hope that served me, but I think you're right. I think that for the most part, I try to approach my relationships with a sense of fascination. Like, God, that person's just interesting to me or they're fascinating to me. And I, I, I find them like interesting to ask questions or to you know, get to know more about how they see the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do hear you say that all the time. That person is fascinating to me. <laughs> I, I just think that's a really cool, like if you could, if you can shift your mindset, right? Like if you're a person who struggles with being open and being very self-protective out of fear of getting hurt or abandoned or betrayed, um, wouldn't that be cool to practice? Like my new narrative is like, Oh, this person is interesting to me. I wonder, I wonder what's going on with them. I wonder what I could learn about them and, you know, try to manage the, the self-protectiveness that comes up because of negative experiences that we've had. Yes. But I, I think that's a real challenge, right? Like I think um, it is, it is. Connection between our story and the way that we approach friendships is really useful because then you can come to <clears throat> you can come to the relationships you're in or the relationship you're trying to create with um more self-acceptance and more responsibility for yourself right like sometimes what i hear women say is uh what will often come up is like those two are really close and they leave me out or the, those guys have created a group and i should be able to get in there but they won't let me in and <clears throat> what I hear in that is like you're really hurt and you're really you're longing for some connection but what you can't do is see that these ladies have invested in one another 
they probably logged a lot of hours with each other and they've created something that's really beautiful and you want something that's really beautiful, but it looks like you're expecting someone to give that to you. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And so that, that's the challenge is like, uh, if I want that and need that, I'm going to have to think about how I can create that in my own life. Yes. I find, I am so, um, I think what you just said is extremely important and I have it written in capital letters in my notes right now. And this is going to require you to tell a story that you don't know I'm going to ask you to tell, but the words that I, that I have circled and in caps on my page are these two words, go first. And I know it's not always possible given our stories, given our history with other women. But I think my number one piece of advice, if you find a relationship with a person and you want to invest in it, is to go first. And, to, and exactly what you're saying, don't wait on the periphery, waiting for it to be handed to you. Figure out what you need and try to step into that instead of waiting for someone else to do it for you. And I have a perfect example of this, how Elaine and our relationship, Elaine, um, needed a DTR between us. We had been, um, <laughs> Elaine and I, this was 10 years ago, at least 15 years ago, probably before the babies, before the babies. Yeah. So between 10 and 15 years ago, and, um, Elaine and I were meeting because we were both, uh, writing books at the same time. And so we would meet and we'd go through our, um, and I, first of all, Elaine and I first met because I brought her in to speak at a retreat that I was um, helping to organize and she was the speaker. And so we, and when we were talking about getting this retreat together, we sort of hit it off, right? We, we just like, we like had a lot in common and we found out we were both writing books and we just were like, oh, she's kind of cool. Oh, she's kind of cool. Am I saying this right? Yes, I immediately had a crush on you. <laughs> and I had a crush on you and it was like, oh, this is so cool. Like we just enjoyed each other's company. Well. But it was in a professional, we had established our relationship in a professional context, Elaine and I had. So then we find out, oh, okay, we do the retreat. That was great. And we find out that um, we're both writing our first books. And so, um, or no, I was writing my first book. You were writing your third book? I don't know, Church on the Couch, maybe. Yeah. Third yeah. book. So then we have this brilliant idea because we secretly want to spend more time together, but I don't know if we just didn't feel like we could say that yet. <laughs> right. Well, you were just so much cooler than me. So That's I just thought. Ridiculous. That is the most ridiculous thing anyone's ever said. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys. This is where it all gets off the rails. Okay. Let's get back to the actual narrative, Elaine. Okay. But this so. is what happens. This is what happens in relationships with women. It's like there are these moments of possibility. And then we let our crazy shit get in the way of moving forward. Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. And we get like, we just all of a sudden decide how it's all going to go before we even take one single chance. Yeah. Right. And it's the same with romantic relationships. It's like you were saying in some ways, it's sort of like, well, I'm not even going to ask that person out because I already know what they're going to say and what they think of me. And it's like, well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Mm -hmm. So we just, so you and I decided to start meeting regularly and exchange our writing and um, help each other through this book writing process and be a support to each other, kind of like a really small writing group. So we started doing that. And then you take the story over from here, Elaine. Well, and then, and then I, 
I just, what did I ask you? I don't even remember how I said, I remember feeling very nervous because like I wanted us to just be friends and like hang out. Like I wanted you to come over for dinner and like, I, I just wanted to hang out with you. But I was like really afraid that if I asked you that, you'd be like, um, I'm a writer and I'm super cool and I already have a lot of friends. I don't really have time to add you to the bunch. Oh my Do you remember what I said? Something like, hey, um, do you think it would be possible for us to hang out um, not at this coffee shop and not talking about our books or <laughs> something like that? That's right. And I was like, duh. Yeah. And this is such a good example, you guys, of Elaine taking the chance to go first. And it, and it sounds like, as she's telling her part of the story, she was nervous and she didn't know how it was going to go. And it was a risk. I didn't see it that way. I was like, well, that's a no brainer. Um, and I was probably feeling that same way. Like she's got a career and a, and teenage children and, you know, she's got like all, she's got established relationships with people I don't even know about. And she's got a whole life out there and you just, it's easy to make a lot of assumptions, but we had a true and fun connection. And so Elaine took a chance to kind of take that further and I am so grateful she did. And it, it, it is an example to all of us that it doesn't mean it's going to be comfortable, easy, or that you know exactly how it's going to go. But when possible, try to go first, because look at, look at what, um, I mean, this is over a decade later and Elaine and I have walked through, I can't even tell you guys how much, but it started there. It started with her saying, Hey, do you think we could hang out beyond just like trading papers across the table in a coffee shop. And yeah, I think we could. And we, we tiptoed into it. And now of course we're very much in the deep end together. Yeah. So I, yeah. And I, I, we're going to talk about groups here in a minute. Um, and I think it's also something to keep in mind with groups is that often it just requires us to go first and, um, Yeah. Yeah. And, and to also be aware that it could go the other way as well. Right. Like I, I remember asking a woman that I looked up to, um, if we could, if we could sort of have a mentoring relationship or if we could have a friendship because I really admired her and she was doing really cool things. She was ahead of me in life and she told me no. And I remember feeling like so humiliated that I thought that this person would want to spend time with me. But, you know, after that, the sting of that wore off, it was like, well, she's very busy. She's got a lot going on and she can't say yes to everything and everyone. And we don't have an established relationship. And if it doesn't work for her, of course she should say no to things that don't work for her. So um, that's just something to keep in mind is that like, it could go the other way. And can I, can I find a way to live with that and just move forward with like, okay, I'm, st- I'm still needing connection. So how am I going to go about creating that? And one of the things that I did sort of in the early years of being a young mom was I sort of started stalking some women that I really mm-hmm. admired who were um, sort of the same stage of life as me. And I said, hey, I'd, I'd really like to start a little group. Um, that isn't really about going through a book or any structure. I'd really like to just sit around 
with a group of women and talk about what's really happening in our lives, to talk about our marriages and being a mom and just all the things that we're struggling with and to share our stories with. Like I, I'm really craving some deep, meaningful conversations that I don't seem to be able to create on my own or not having in the relationships that I'm in. And so that was sort of how I started my first group was by just like, I targeted women that I wanted to spend yes. time oh, with. I said, are you interested in this? And some said yes. And some said no. Yep, absolutely. And you, I think um, that season of life when you have young children, it's very difficult to, uh, you may have a lot of contact, like we were talking about, like all these moms together at play dates and things like that. But there, it's so hard to really experience connection. You're tired, you're distracted. And sometimes it takes forming um, a, a, a formal group where it's like, okay, we're all here for an hour and a half, two hours, and we're all looking at each other yeah. and we're going to be undistracted so that we can um, dig deeper with each other. And I, I had a group that I formed about 15 years ago and it was the, I did it the exact same way, Elaine. I had been in a lot of groups where we were going through a book or we were going through some kind of a study or an enrichment curriculum of some kind. And, um, I realized that a lot of times because of everyone's uh, limits on their time, we would, we would do the assigned material and then everyone's out the door. And it's like, I don't actually even know what's going on in these people's lives. We're, we're, we're working through something together. We're discussing something, but I have actually no idea what's going on. And it left me um, feeling like I, that's not what I want. And so I did the exact same thing. I just started zeroing in on some women that I was like, I feel like these women are wanting the same thing. And that's the key. You, you know, you don't, everyone doesn't have to be in the, in the exact same season of life. Everyone doesn't have to be from the exact same background or whatever it is. It doesn't need to be homogeneous. It's just, it's, do these women want something similar? Do they want to go deeper? Do they want to experience deeper connection with each other? And you can find them and you handpick them and you say, let's go, let's meet in my living room. And it's, but sometimes going back, sometimes you have to be the one to take that step and to do it instead of waiting for someone else to do it for you. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then there's another go first, right? Which is the first time you all are together. If, if you've started this and you're wanting, you have an agenda for this, it's important to be very overt about what your agenda is. And yeah. one of the ways you do that is by sharing at a deep level, your own story, right? And you don't have to share everything and all the nitty gritty details, but like start with sort of setting the tone for like, this is the kind of conversation we're going to have. So I remember at our first group meeting, we sort of like went around and everybody had like 15 or 20 minutes to like, tell us sort of your story. Tell us about like your family of origin. Tell us what you were like as a kid. Tell us what high school was like for you. Tell us what you're struggling with right now. Like take yeah. 15 or 20 minutes and just talk about yourself. And I think it can help a lot if the person who's leading or facilitating or organizing that group starts so they're like oh that's what we're doing right exactly. so otherwise exactly. people are like I, I'm not sure how deep to get like I was a cheerleader and I loved school and my mom and dad were great and right as opposed to like well I had an abortion at 16 and my dad was actually an alcoholic and that was very painful for our family and my mom and dad got divorced and I mean these are people's stories right like yes everybody's yes. got 
some business in their story that's painful and what if we just start sharing these are the things that have formed me and these are some of the things that I'm working on or working through or don't even know what they mean in my life but um, I'm going to show you who I am and I'm going to hope that you can welcome that and treat that with care right the other thing is like you guys do this in your group where you have like you have a ritual right about like when someone shares um you guys do a particular thing and how how did that come about and what does that look like well um there's so much here that i want to unpack but um a few years into our group we were we were actually all at a retreat together and um i shared something and i bawled through the whole 15 minutes of it it was i was a I was, I think the twins were like a year and I was just having a hard time and I was dealing with a lot of shame and a lot of toxic messages. And I was sharing that with the group and it was very tender to me. And it was, I was really overwhelmed. And, um, one of the gals in the group, her name's Joanna. She, it's like when someone shares on that level and they're that undone, what do you say? You know, it's, it's everyone, there was this pause and everyone was kind of like, you could tell just no one knew exactly what to say or do that. Everyone, we're all just sort of looking at each other. And Joanna looks me right in the eye and she said, Leanna, we see you, we hear you and we love you. And it was like, everybody just exhaled because it was the thing that everyone wanted to say without fixing it without giving advice, without telling me, oh, no, 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 you don't need to feel that way. You're doing a great job. You're doing awesome. You know, all that BS that does not help. And she just, she just like burned a laser into my eyes and was like, you are so seen in this moment. You have no idea. You are so deeply loved. And we heard everything you just said, and we're holding it here like a diamond. So you don't need to worry. And so in our group now, um, we do that after a person has shared and, and, and you're right. It's like a lot of times we're sharing the really deep waters because that's what we've agreed to do. Uh, we say, we see you, we hear you and we love you. And sometimes another girl in our group, Juanita says, and we touch you. (laughs) She reaches out and strokes the person's arm because she's a real toucher, but you can also say, I don't want that. (laughs) I'd like to opt out of the touching, (laughs) but we've also learned in our group that if you, if you're done sharing and you would like some advice or you would like some input that you can ask for that, but nobody pipes up and gets in the way and, and jumps all over this person sharing until that person says, okay, I'm giving you a green light. And that's how we honor each other because the quickest way to get people to stop talking and stop talking authentically is to jump in and start talking about yourself to start solving that for them or to try to start talking them out of their feelings. It's like, well, you know what? I'm not going to share like that because it's just, I can't handle all that's coming across the table at me from all these people. So next time I'll just talk about like my brother and how he's struggling. Yeah. Yeah, It's also unhelpful and we all hate it. And yet, it, we're so tempted to do it. And mm-hmm. so that it's, it's really important to clarify if you're beginning a group of some kind to, to state that at the get go to say, you know what, 
here's what I'd like this to look like. Let me know if that sounds good to you. And then I think what would help us do that is to make sure that when someone's sharing, we don't give advice. We don't jump in and tell a story about how we relate. We don't try to talk them out of their feelings. We just let that be. And we support you. Like we say, we say things that are supportive, like what your, what your group does, right? Something like yes. that. Yes. And it's, sometimes it's helpful to just have that line, have it ready, you know? And so this is what we're going to say to each other when we're done sharing. And at first it might feel a little bit rote, but it helps that person to know that they're not going to get accosted the minute they stop talking. Mm-hmm. They're just going to be seen, you know? And it, it also speaks to our discomfort with silence totally. and just letting things hang. You know, it's hard to do that. There are t- and it's hard for me. Like I remember times and I do this still I would sit on my hands and it's just a reminder, like get your grubby mitts (laughs) off that person's life. It is not yours to solve, fix, tolerate the discomfort. Even if there's a lot of discomfort in the room, you know, it's okay. It's okay. There's fear about like that level of vulnerability going in. But I think what I, what I've seen over and over in group experiences that I've been in is that generally what happens is when someone tells a story about what's going on with them or what they've experienced is there's there's some resonating in the room right like either someone has shared a similar experience or someone as is relieved that you are sharing at that level um oftentimes people will say i feel honored by what you just shared that was like so that was so big and so private and so painful and I feel really honored that you trust that you trust us with that like that's that's what happens over and over is people feel um, closer connected to each other when we share at deep levels and so we do have to oftentimes fight through our urges to self-protect to talk people out of things to give people advice we have to fight through all that business and realize that there's treasure on the other side of that if I can just like calm myself down, there's treasure on the other side of that. Absolutely. I loved what you said when you opened the um, retreat in October in Orcas, you said, um, ladies, I just want to remind you that you're here for yourself. And um, I think that while when we go into groups, we're there for each other and we're there to support each other. We also need to be aware of, of what we're bringing into the room and stay with ourselves too. And that's how we can best um, listen and honor someone else is when we're aware what what's coming up for when we we are aware of what's coming up for us when someone else is talking. Right. right. That's the thing we have to really pay attention to, like, you know, say someone's sharing something really difficult and we have all of these great ideas about what they could or should do and to just take a moment and you know, obviously stop yourself from talking and, and ask yourself, like, what, why am I feeling the need to do this? And often it's something like, <clears throat> I'm feeling really anxious about what the person has shared. I'm feeling responsible to fix this or to do something helpful. And the only way that I know how to be helpful is to tell people what to do. And yes. to recognize that, like, that almost never works unless <laughs> you ask for it, right? Like, how many times have you really appreciated something? somebody jumping in at the end of what you've shared to tell you what to do. It's like, well, I already know that. I already know I should, you know, whatever, whatever the list is, right? Like I, 
I already know about all the things I could or should do. What I really need is support and to remember that like you don't want that for yourself. You don't want that coming toward you. And you trying to give that to others is really about your own anxiety. And if you can just calm yourself a little bit and say, I'm actually just really anxious. And if I give it a moment, that will pass. And I can get to the point of really connecting and supporting this other person if I tolerate the discomfort I'm feeling right now. Yes. For me, I think I am like I am often wanting to say something profound because I want to feel that I add value to the group. Yeah. And that people will say, oh God, I'm so glad she's here. You know, yeah. I'm so glad she's here. And it's it is a form of anxiety because I'm I'm anxious that um, perhaps I'm not bringing enough value. And mm-hmm. when I can check that and say, you know, I don't I don't need to interrupt someone and give them advice to that's not going to create value. <laughs> it's going to blow up in my face, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that I'm anxious that you know, do I really? are these, do these women really see me as someone who brings value or what are you're worried about how you're being perceived? But all of that, if we can just stop and harness it and say, this is what's going on for me in this moment. None of this will help me create a deeper connection with this person. In fact, it will be a roadblock. And so, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to sit on my hands and you know, that's going to help us actually become closer because it's going to, what it's going to do is it's going to establish trust mm-hmm. that someone can talk and share something really deep and they can trust that um, it's going to be held in a way that's, that it's honored. Right. I think something you said early on, Elaine, and you said it briefly, but I think this is very important that if you guys are establishing a group and you brought these women together because you have a sense, okay, we all kind of want something similar. I think we're all, we all have the capacity to go deep we're all longing for that. It's still very important to lay that out in very specific terms at the beginning. So everyone knows what they're signing up for. A few ways that we did this is, is in my group, as we talked about kind of our values, that's the word that we used. And so, um, and we participated together in that. I started with kind of this, these are some of my values that I want this group to sort of embody. And then we added some, and like for one was we value people's time. And so if we say we're going to end at 1030 or 11, we do our very best to end at 1030 or 11 or whatever time it is to the point that at times when our group was large, someone was the timer. And so you got 10 minutes. And then when your 10 minutes was done, it was the next person's turn. And sometimes someone would give some of their time if someone else had something that was going on that was really big and required more time. Of course, there was like some room to wiggle in that. But we honored the fact that if someone gets on a roll and starts talking for 40 minutes, that takes away from everyone else's chance to share. And so that was one small thing that we did that ended up being a big thing because that would require that everyone had to go around the table and share. And we didn't stay there till 2 a.m. And then authenticity, uh, we've talked about that. Like um, one of our values is authenticity that don't, don't come and talk about all the members of your family and other people in your lives. Talk about yourself. Share about what's going on for you. What do you really need to talk about? What do you really need to share? And, um, and then another one of ours, of course, is confidentiality. And I know, Elaine, you will have something to say on this. But one of the quickest ways to erode trust is someone finding out that something you shared with them in a really tender moment was shared outside the group to someone else. And um, so 
you know, and we explained what confidentiality meant and we all agreed to that. So I think establishing up front, this is sort of what we're all buying into. And one other point of just practical logistics is I always put an end to the group and said, um, okay, we're going to meet for six months, let's say, and then it's six months, we can all reevaluate. So there was always a back door for people that needed to get out, you know? Yeah. Um, and then you could say at the end of those six months, I'm, I'm in for the next six months. And it was also an opportunity for people to re-up and recommit to, yes, I'm in. This is what I want. Yeah, I think that can be so important because so- sometimes we want this kind of experience, but then when we're in it, it can be so uncomfortable that we're like, you know, we I've certainly had people who are like, I, I actually don't want to do this. I think I need something different. Yeah. Um, I'm like, yeah, yeah. If this isn't, if this isn't working for you, then for sure go do what works for you. But really allowing people spaces where they can get out um, so that, so that they're not trying to do something that constantly doesn't feel like a fit for them. Yes. It, it just won't work for the group in, in as a whole. If you've got some folks in there who aren't really interested in sharing at that level or don't really want to listen to other people sharing at that level, we'll just sabotage the connections that you're trying to make. Yeah. They'll hold the group hostage because they, they won't be able to participate and it, it will feel as though, and everyone can feel it in the room. It's so obvious. There's just a person holding everyone hostage. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so it's important. Yeah. And, and what you said when you invited some women into the group and they said, no, I had the same experience. I invited this group of people. Some said yes, some said no. And trusting that those that say no, that's just not what they're either want to do capable of doing or in a season of their life where they can invest at that level. And it's better just to have the people that are ready around the table. Yes, absolutely. So Elaine, you have written a stunning book called church on the couch. And in one of the chapters of that book, you really dig into this. And I would encourage anyone listening that wants to start a group to read, to get the book and read that chapter because it it will help you, especially when you hit against difficult situations like someone uh, hijacking the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we, do, I'm not trained to know how to deal with that. You're, you know, most people are not trained to know how to deal with that. And so Elaine walks us through how to handle these situations um, that are going to inevitably come up in group dynamics. So, are there things that we have not yet talked about that are covered in that chapter, Elaine? Well, so many things. Yeah. Um, maybe yeah. we could do another episode about like some of the problem, like when conflict comes up, because that's inevitable, right? Like you'll, you'll get closer and people get more invested with each other and inevitably things will get messy because that's what happens in relationships that are meaningful, right? There are, there are moments where like, like maybe someone is consistently late and people are starting to feel disrespected by that. Like, what are we going to do? We're so mad that Anna can never get here on time. And it just feels like she doesn't value the group. Like what, how are we going to handle situations like that in a way that helps to move the group forward rather than becomes like, we're all complaining about Anna behind your back. Right. Like, right. How do we we talk a lot about um, how to handle some of those things? Um, yeah, so let's maybe do another episode about that. I love that. It, and it it's not just, um, it doesn't just apply to group dynamics. It applies to um, any relationship, I think, um, broadly, where it's like, yeah, I don't know how to handle conflict or confrontation or, 
um, there's something that's not working and I don't know how to handle it. And so I think these principles are super helpful. And let's not even um, get into the fact that these things happen in our, in our larger family dynamics too. These are groups that come together and we've got all kinds of dynamics happening. And so having these tools about how to deal with stuff when it's going sideways, it's kind of a big deal. It's kind yeah. of helpful. Yeah. And the, the thing that like makes it all worth it is because, because it does get messy and confusing at points. Right. But I yes. think what I've experienced in groups and what I've watched others experience when I'm, you know, leading a therapy group or something is that there's something really kind of magical about sitting around with other folks who are risking what you're risking and who are able to nod their heads and say, I totally get what you're talking about. That makes complete sense to me. You are not crazy. I would feel upset too, if I were you, you know, that kind of, that kind of validation is, is so healing and different than what I can do as a therapist one-on-one -on -one or with a couple people in a room, right? Like, uh, of course, they're expecting that from me. And of course, I feel those things, but it's not the same as having someone who is just in the room with you, isn't responsible for you, isn't being paid by you to take care of them, right? To say like, oh man, I so get what you're talking about. It's such a relief to hear that somebody else feels like that, that someone else is struggling with that. I thought I was the only one. It just is profoundly um, powerful in terms of helping us move forward. And so I'm a big fan of taking the time and the effort to try to create a group so that you can experience that kind of that kind of um, support that really I think only happens inside of a group like that. I think that's so true. Nobody's the expert. We're all here together. We each have a seat around the table. No one's in charge. No one is the, um, the person who knows. We're all here and we're showing up equally and um, we're showing up for each other. We're showing up for ourselves. We're holding each other's stories and it is profoundly healing. It's profoundly healing in a way, exactly what you're saying that um, nothing else is. Yeah. So we'll talk next time maybe about the messy parts and how to handle them. Love that. God, I love that. Can't wait. Couple of geniuses. <laughs> well, I want to I want to close this out by just saying that um, I'm so grateful for you, and I'm so grateful for the miles we've walked together. Mm -hmm. And um, you have just you have held me and seen me and loved me uh, through so many years and so many circumstances. And I'm I'm so grateful that you went first and asked me to take our relationship to a whole nother romantic level. No, I'm kidding. To a whole nother level um, at that coffee shop that day. Same, same, Elsie. I wish I could say it back to you, but I'm already in tears, so I don't think I can quit. <laughs> I love you with my whole heart. I love you with my whole heart. Okay. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Soul Care House podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Any questions or comments you have, if there are topics you'd like us to address, let us know. Feel free to contact me at elaine at soulcarehouse.com. If you're interested in knowing more about what we do here at Soul Care, our website is soulcarehouse.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle there is soulcarehouseandbarn. Talk to you soon.